Great. Um, so as I mentioned, we had started the past two Saturdays uh, learning of his being. And we got that from Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, that got the ex- he is the express image of his person. The express image of his person. And we said the words express image come from the Greek word character. Character. The spelling of character is C-H-A-R-A-K-T-E-R. C-H-A-R-A-K-T-E-R. Okay, it means a die to indicate a die or a stamp or the mark made by a seal. Basically, the mirror image of something. If you stamp something on a piece of paper, it should give the mirror image of that stamp itself. And it means that Jesus Christ is the exact reproduction of God in human form. His exact reproduction of God in human form. The word person is the Greek word hypostasis. I think I'll just copy them for you to see. Hypostasis. Uh, hypostasis. It comes from two Greek words. That is hypo meaning under, and hispemi, meaning to stand. That it means now, thus, that which stands under. That which stands under. A better way or a better rendition is the nature or the essence. The nature or the essence. Let me share this um, on the chat. Okay, so the, therefore, when we talk about the express image of his person, we are saying that Christ is the exact reproduction of God in human form and displaying his nature or essence. His nature or essence. So we had various scriptural uh, references. Um, I, if you can write them down, I will be very happy because we're not going to do them uh, today. We are wanting the next element of his, his being. So John chapter 14, verse 6 to 11. John 14, verse 6 to 11. Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 to 14, being the image of the invisible God. He's the precise copy of the invisible God. Uh, Colossians chapter 1, verse 19. Colossians chapter 2, verse 9. Let me read the Colossians again. Colossians 1, 15. Colossians 1, verse 19. Colossians 2, verse 9. Philippians chapter 2, verse 6. Philippians chapter 2, verse 6. John chapter 1, verse 1 to 3. 
John chapter 1, verse 1 to 3. John chapter 1, verse 14. John chapter 8, verse 58. Yeah, John, that's so that's where we reach when we're trying to have an understanding of the express image of his person. All those verses affirm that Jesus was the image of the invisible God. It affirms that it pleased the Father to put all his fullness in Christ Jesus, meaning there's nothing that Jesus was lacking that was like uh, in comparison to God the Father. They were one because everything that God was, Jesus is. Everything that Jesus was, God is. <clears throat> it says that it also talks about the fullness of the Godhead dwelling in Christ Jesus. When we talk about the Godhead, we are talking of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And in one of the verses you'll find interesting is Philippians 2, verse 6, that he says that Jesus did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. The only way you cannot consider it robbery or that you are being fraudulent in a particular ideology or action is if you are entitled to that thing. So when he said, him being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, is that he knew he and God, the Godhead, were one. He was not trying to compete against the Godhead. He was not trying to uh, steal any powers from the Godhead. He was part of the Godhead. He was God, or he is God. And we say that he will, um, in, I think it's later on, we look at John chapter 58, uh, John chapter 8, verse 58, sorry. And it says that before Abraham was, I am. The only reference to talk about I am is in the Old Testament when, uh, when Moses had appeared before the burning bush and when he asked, who shall I say sent me? He said, say, I am. And we learned in the previous sessions that Jesus was the human representation of the Godhead. That he, nobody has ever seen the Father but Jesus. Jesus himself said that. Nobody has seen the Father but me. So we cannot say that God appeared to the God the Father, if I can say that, appeared to Moses. We say it is Christ who appeared to Moses because he's the physical representation of the Godhead. He's the only one that we have been able to see. If you can say that hey, this generation hasn't seen him, unless one of you is. Uh, I don't know, is reincarnating every other century. You better tell us. Uh, but generally, that at least we know that there is <clears throat> empirical evidence that Christ walked on this earth. So he is a representation of God, the Father. I mean, God, the Godhead. And <clears throat> we talked about that I am is what got him um, in bad books with the Jews because they felt like it was blasphemy. How could he call himself or equate himself to God? Little did they know that he was God. That God came into this human flesh, in this human form, that he may achieve a great reconciliation between us and himself. So uh, 
seeing that, um, wrapping that up in that quick summary, I want us to go through the concept of the doctrine of the Trinity. I know we learned it last uh, Saturday, but I felt the need to go over it again. Once again, uh, believers, this is not just a preaching. I'm not here to hype anyone, to say you shall come out. You're not coming out of everything, on anything. You've already come out. I'm not going to start talking about things that are, I don't know, that tickle your fancy, you know, make you feel excited in, in your senses. I am basically bringing in the word in its meat form that you will understand what this doctrine of Christianity is actually made of, not only for your own sake, but whenever you are brought up before uh, the councils of this world, people who may want to discredit the truth of God's word, you will have a defense because you will now know. When we talk about contending for the faith that you believe, it's not or receive. It's not just about contending for the things you have. I will not die. I will. I will not lose my money. No, we are talking about the very essence of Christendom. Who you are as a believer. Can you defend why you are born again? Can you be able to openly say, "I am born again because of one, two, three. And the reason cannot be because you are running away from problems. It cannot be you're trying to get money or acquire certain wealth or get married or get children or have your children, you know, I don't succeed in life. That is not the reason for your salvation. We are told that we were foreordained so that we are able to live out the purpose of God, which is, if you remember from Genesis chapter 1, and also chapter 2, that he made us in his exact image, that we will be able to fulfill his very essence here on earth, that we will be his exact representation here. Sometimes I like to toy around with the idea that whatever Christ came to do or, or how he was is what we are supposed to be, to be here. Christ was not, okay, first we knew that he understood, uh, the Father knew, the God had knew that we were going to say. But even in a perfect scenario, we would have been the miracle workers. We would have been ensuring that there is no corruption in this world. That when the fallen angels tried to come and do things, we would have had the authority, both morally and spiritually, to defend the faith that God had already put in us. Okay? So this particular session is not to hype you up. I repeat so if you feel your sleep is coming, you know, a blanket is calling you for with your eyelids, please use a toothpick like Tom and Jerry used to do in those cartoons. Wake up. I want us to learn. I want us to learn. And learning requires patience. Learning requires steadfastness. We just learned from Second Peter chapter 1 up to 8 that we must exercise these things. We must exercise growing in the word that we may truly appreciate the divine nature that is within us, okay? So we are looking at the doctrine of the Trinity, the doctrine of the Trinity. Um, I mentioned that last time, um, in a last time session, that if you're going to look for the word Trinity in the Bible, you will not find it. It's also the same way if you're going to look for Armageddon or the rapture, you will not find it in the Bible. But it is a 
concept that is true and exists. For the team that has been working with us for the past couple of weeks, I think almost six weeks or eight weeks, I remember teaching you about truth, the meaning of truth, and how you can relate to truth. And I got this from uh, the late uh, Dr. Rabbi Zakaris. He talked about truth. For it to be elevated as truth, it must have logical consistency, which means it cannot have any logical contradiction. Number two, it must have empirical adequacy that if you scientifically try and prove it, it will actually come to pass, all right? It will be able to prove itself. There is evidence for it. The last thing is that it is it must have experiential relevance. When we say experiential relevance, it means that it is applicable to your everyday living. That even if you are to change continents, if you are to change uh, location, whatever it may be, it will be relevant. That is what truth is. For example, the only time you will not experience, uh, no, um, when we talk about uh, gravity, it is something that we know is real. Whether you go to Kajiado, whether you go to wherever it is, truth, you will, if you go up, you will come down. Unless you try and put up mechanisms that will suspend you, like hot air balloons or a, or a, fly, or a plane or a glider, whatever it may be, the truth is if you are a human being or you're a matter and you're solid, there's a high chance you'll come down. Um, we talk about empirical, that is empirical adequacy. Uh, experiential relevance that um, I'll, I'll do that illustration just to point out that if you know that you must eat to sustain your body, it's an experience that you've had. You must, there are some people who have suffered for about 10 days, they were detoxing. They were feeling some type of way. Now that they have started eating, that food has made them a bit sick. God help them. Anyway, anyway, but you know, you must eat to sustain your flesh. If you don't, you will die. So it doesn't matter where you are, who you're with, you must eat. Otherwise, you will starve to death. That's, I'm trying to make it, breaking it down to something understandable because those words were very big in my opinion. Maybe they're not for you. So logical consistency empirical adequacy and experiential relevance. So the Trinity, the doctrine of the Trinity, it basically defines the triune nature of God, the tripartite nature of God, that God exists in three persons, but is one like a three-in-one deal, chips, chicken, and soda, three-in-one. It is one meal box, but there are three distinct elements, okay? So God in his existence is three, three persons, but one substance, one essence one nature. The individuality of God can be explained as his quality or character. I think I taught this last time, so I'm just redefining the words, paraphrasing them to bring understanding, that it is the quality or character 
of the Godhead that distinguishes them from others of the same kind, especially when strongly marked. Okay? It's, there's a quality of each person of the Godhead that can still distinguish them, but still has them as one. And that's why we talk about Christ being in human form. It distinguishes him from the spirit, but he and the spirit are one. We see Christ in human form. He says that all things, that's in Colossians chapter 1 verse 19, all things were created in him and for him, okay, and are sustained by him or rather through him. We also see the same parallel when we talk about God the Father, that we were created for his glory. And he is the one who knows why the moon is suspended the way it is, how the beings, they, how the, the celestial beings are. He's the one who said, let us make his voice what he's had in Genesis chapter 1, going throughout the book of Genesis and even the Old Testament. He is distinct, yes, but he is one with Christ. Are we there? Am I here? <laughs> My husband has looking at me funny because of the recording. But I said, I shall not fear. I shall not fear. Uh, online team, are you there? We are here. Oh, thank you. Ah, okay. Saba, saba, zawadi, saba, saba. Good. So <clears throat> that's what I want you to understand that there are three persons, but are one substance. There's a terminology I also brought up um, when we talk about the essence. The essence of God. I don't know if anyone from the previous team can remember. I feel like calling out people because I call them Saru. Saru. Do you remember? No, essence we learned, we learned a long time ago. Can you <laughs> can you please tell me what essence is? You wrote it down. Yes. Good. Can you say it louder? The intrinsic or indispensable quality of something, especially something as So it is the intrinsic nature of something that determines its character. The intrinsic quality nature or something that it, it will differentiate it from everything else and it determines its character. So they are one in essence but they are three in person. Their nature is one. Hallelujah. I'm using all types of English words <laughs> so we can understand. They are their quality is one. They are one in essence, in substance. If you, if you, if you, if you look at the one even in individuality, it, it more or less reflects the same thing. So, <laughs> I want us to, uh, I won't dwell there so much because I, I, I feel it is sinking in slowly. 
And maybe when you go back to your notes, you'll be able to understand it even more. And revelation will come upon you. Revelation will come upon you. What we are saying, as I move on to how scriptures teach us about the Trinity from the Old Testament to the New Testament, is that the three persons of the Godhead, which is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, are co-equal, they are co-eternal, they are inseparable. They are co-equal, they are co-eternal, they are inseparable, and they are interdependent. They are interdependent. You will see this element of interdependency, especially in the New Testament. There's some various scriptural references that we'll read together for your understanding and meditation that we will be able to um, affirm this particular uh, quality or aspect of the Godhead. So they cannot be separated. They work together. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, the word that was said, we let us, let us make man in our own image. So, unlikeness. Great. Let us look at the scriptural verses in the Old Testament that will compel us to believe to believe the doctrine of the Trinity or the triune nature of the Godhead. Genesis chapter 1 verse 1. Genesis chapter 1 verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was moving over the face of the waters. The Spirit of God was moving over the face of the waters. That already begins to give us an element of the Godhead that is a spirit. Okay, I'll be careful in my words. Please don't say I'm blasphemous. I'm just trying to give an explanation that the Spirit of God, one of the persons of the Godhead, was moving over the face of the waters. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. I'll make a correction. I'd say Genesis 1, verse 2, but it's Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. Highlight is let us make man in our image, our, 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 our likeness, our, our. That is a plurality that needs to be comprehended in this case. There is a plurality that needs to be noted. He was not saying, let me, I will. He said, let us. Genesis chapter 3, verse 22. The Lord God said, behold, the man has become like one of us. The man has become like one of us. To know good and evil. And now lest he put out his hand and take also of the tree of life um, and eat and live forever. He became like one of us. Plurality again. He, 
it's like God was talking, God the Father, God was talking to God. He was talking to himself. Yeah? Genesis chapter 11, <clears throat> 11 verse 6 to 7, it says, And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they have all one language, and this is the only, uh, and this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down. And they are confused, their language, that they may not understand one another's speech. Come, let us go down. Plurality. First Samuel chapter 16, verse 13. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord, again, a distinct person, yet one. First Samuel chapter 16, verse 13. And the spirit of the Lord came mightily upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. A distinct person of the Godhead, known as the Spirit of the Lord. Daniel chapter 7, verse 13 to 14. Daniel chapter 7, verse 13 to 14. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days. And was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. We know who that is, that is Jesus, okay? Because we know that all power and dominion was given to Christ Jesus. That is both found in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, and in the book of the a book of Revelation of Jesus. So in this particular um, scriptural reference, you will see two distinct persons of the Godhead. One who appeared as a son of man. And we know in the Old Testament, I mean the New Testament, there's a reference, son of man that has been thrown there by Jesus every now and then. The son of man will now go through this and all that. So we know that he's referring to himself, the physical human form of the Godhead. The second thing he says he came to the ancient of days. So it's as if the, the reference that has been made is of God the Father. However, we know that all of them existed together before the beginning of time. Does that make sense? Okay, right. Guys, are we still together? Or you have lost me? Not when I've lost you, but I've, you've lost me. <laughs> Hello? Hello? Online team? Hello? Oh, great. Here. Okay, we are together. Great. Thank you. So... We are seeing two distinct persons of the Godhead. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 8. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 8. A lot of us like to use this one. Send me, O Lord, send me, O Lord. Who shall I send? 
says, also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Isaiah 6 verse 8, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then Isaiah said, here am I, send me. Here am I, send me. There are many other scripture references that may have the distinct persons, but still have the, has the concept of the nature or the essence of the Godhead, that they are still one. They may be distinctly uh, represented in scriptural references as son of man, ancient of days, the father or, um, or the spirit of the Lord. But we know that they're talking about one of the same, one of, one of the same God, but in different personifications, okay? Now the last one, the last one which will, uh, um, will introduce us to something else. Um, yeah, yeah, so Deuteronomy chapter six, verse four, Deuteronomy chapter six, verse four, it says here, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Hear ye, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. This is one of the strongest arguments that has been used by the Christian faith to evidence that all the three persons of the Godhead are represented in one substance or one essence, one. They are one. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. That the Lord our God, the Lord is one. The Lord is one. This particular word that is used as God, that word in Hebrew, God, is Elohim. Elohim. And it is a plural word in Hebrew. It's not talking about one like very English. No, English language is, to be honest, it's very limiting. Yeah, it's, it's no fault to it. But even when you're trying to express a traditional phrase or something in your local language, you try and say it in English, it loses meaning or its essence. When you take, oh, this means this. So that's the mentality. <laughs> Yeah, something like that. So both, but then both the lawyer and the judge said the weirdest thing. Let's just look at that. It's okay. But yes, so you know that the 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 word Elohim, as much as it was written in English, I want you to know that the Hebrew meaning or the Hebrew representation of this word is in plural. So it's not talking, you can say, here Elohim, our God. Elohim is one. So you don't put them apart. He is one. All right. Another thing, that particular scriptural reference where we say the Lord is one, in Hebrew, the original text in Hebrew, it is the word echad or echad. E-C-H-A-D. E-C-H-A-D. Echad, echad. Echad, and it's not my language, so you bear with me. Yeah. And 
It is the same word that is used in Genesis chapter 2, verse 4, we said that a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and they shall become one flesh. It talks about a collective sense that even though there is Elohim in plurality, there's a singularity in it. Okay? So Elohim is in the plural sense, but it stops and says he's one. He's a child. In the collective sense, he is one. As many as they are, they are one. The same concept with the parent, with marriage, the man and the woman are one. The ideal sense of the ideal nature of a married couple is that they're supposed to work together as one unit, not as separate units. Right? So two persons in one flesh. So that is our evidence in the Old Testament. I want us to move to our evidence in the New Testament and read a few scriptures and we shall call it a wrap for this particular session of his being. In the same way that we have seen instances in the Old Testament where it's the spirit of the Lord, the ancient of days, you're seeing one who appears as the son of man, okay? It's also the same way represented in the New Testament, but it is now more distinct because we see instances of the Father, the Son of God, the Spirit of God. If you have been taking time to read your Bible, I am sure you have interacted with them. If not, today is your lucky day. All right? So, in the Old, in the New Testament, we see... Uh, more like a logical consistency in the sense that God the Father is seen as the creator in Genesis, but also seen as the same creator in the New Testament. You can see like in John, uh, I think it's in uh, John chapter 17. I don't have that in my notes. Let me, let me get it. Uh, John 17... Just let me get that one. Uh, come to my mind. Yes, John 17, verse, uh, verse, verse 10. John chapter 17, verse 9 and 10. Uh, can you please Okay, sorry for that. All things that are mine are yours, and all things that are yours belong to me, and I'm glorified in and through them. I am glorified in and through them. 
Basically, what Christ was saying that everything that the Father has has created or created, whatever it was, belonged to Him. And whatever Christ has or was involved in creating belongs to God the Father. Okay? So let's read this scripture verses from God, the Godhead known as God the Father. Okay? God the Father. In John chapter 6, verse 27, 6, verse 27, it says, Stop toiling, or he says, Stop toiling and doing and producing for the food that perishes and decomposes in the using, but strive and work hard and produce rather the lasting food which endures continually unto life eternal. The Son of Man will give, punish you that. For God the Father has authorized and certified him and put his seal of endorsement upon him. Remember, a lot of the times, whatever is being spoken of in the New Testament is a fulfillment of what was spoken of in the Old Testament. In Daniel chapter 7, verse 13 to 14, what did we read? We read that there was one who appeared in the form of son, son of man, and he went before the ancient of days. And ancient of days, what did he say? He has given him dominion. He has given him power. He has given him, he has authorized him. Glory. <laughs> he has authorized him to have whatever power and jurisdiction to do whatever he needs to do in this particular realm or dispensation. And he says that God the Father has authorized him. So there's a correlation between the two. What is in Daniel chapter 7 and what is in John chapter 6? The next verse we shall read is John chapter 20, verse 17. Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, do not, do not hold me. He's talking to Mary after his resurrection, yeah? For I have not yet ascended to the who? To the Father. John chapter 20, verse 17. Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, do not hold to me, hold me, sorry, do not hold me. For I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brethren and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and who? And your Father. By and to my God and your God. Hmm. Okay. And, <clears throat> all right. You know, those who started with me were, were talking about the entrance of the men and women of God. The way when they enter, <laughs> there are some special guests who have joined us right now. Praise the Lord. Pastor Gloria, Minister Lynn, Karibuni Sana. Yes. Ritualete Chai, Sweetie, Dawa. Anyway, let us proceed. <laughs> yes. So I was reading from John chapter 20, verse 17. Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, do not hold me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brethren and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, and to my God and your God. Here's another instance where the, the God, the Father, Godhead, is being explicitly mentioned, that you may understand that they are still distinct in person, but one in nature, okay? And there's a level here of, I remember I talked about the subordinationism some time ago, where some 
Christian factions believed that Christ is subordinate to God the Father, that he cannot be one and the same thing. But that we know we have dispelled it with our reading in John chapter 8, verse 8, where he said, before Abraham, I am. So we know that the I am that has been spoken of in the book of Exodus is the same I am that has been spoken of in the book of John. I just mentioned this before, that everything that is written in the New Testament is a fulfillment of what was spoken of in the Old Testament. So if you see something that is being emphasized in either the new or the old, you need to always be diligent to cross-reference the two. Don't just take the scripture and run with it as if it was the only long thing that was written. Go back and see the record. Where was this spoken? Who spoke it? What was the context? And how is it being applied now in the New Testament? And how can I have experiential relevance to these truths? Okay. So 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 6, it says, Yet for us, there is only one God, the who? The Father, who is the source of all things and for whom we have life. And one Lord, Jesus Christ, through and by whom are all things and through by whom we ourselves exist. There are so many cross-references that we are making in the Old Testament. If you remember we said in Genesis 6, let us make who? Man in our likeness and in our image. He breathed life into Adam. And we are seeing here, he is the source of all things for whom we have life. And he was talking in plurality. What was written there was in plural form. Let us make. And they say God breathed life into Adam. So we know that Jesus was existing at the same time God the Father was. And both of them worked together to create life. Because the next bit of 1 Corinthians chapter 8 verse 6 says, One Lord, Jesus Christ, through and by whom are all things. And through and by whom we ourselves exist. The same exists in Colossians chapter 1 from verse 15 up to 19 or even 22 to 1. It talks about how everything coexists and exists through and in Christ Jesus, who was the creator of all things. Yet we're also seeing here that God the Father is the creator and the source of all things and the life in which we are now breathing or we are now living. Okay? Galatians chapter 1 verse 1. Paul, an apostle, this is, uh, I told you to make notes that in the New Testament, you will keep seeing the three of them being very distinct in their introduction. And even from that introduction, you start to understand God's entire plan for the redemption of man. From the beginning, before the foundations of the earth, the redemption plan was, it was not spontaneous. It did not catch God by surprise. It was there before the foundation, before Genesis 1, the plan was. Okay, so let's see. Galatians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostolic special messenger appointed and commissioned and sent out, not from anybody of men, nor by and through any man, but by and through Jesus Christ the Messiah and God the Father, 
who raised him from among the dead. Now, this particular part of who raised him from among the dead in Romans chapter 8 says that if the same spirit that was in Christ, the one that raised Christ from the dead, is living in us. So it means the two of them are, they are like, sorry, but the two of them are, they are coherent, they are the same plane. Yeah. And now this, that particular scripture moves on to verse 2. But you can see that he who raised him from among the dead, we know that it is the spirit of God that has the power to raise from the dead. So he's already seen, he's recognized the three persons of the Godhead in this particular introduction. I wonder how you got that revelation. It's very deep. And we are, we are being helped. The Lord has helped us. We are greatly helped of the Lord. Amen. I shall not say what I did to say. We are greatly helped. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 3 to 6. Be eager and strive earnestly to guard and keep the harmony and oneness of and produced by the Spirit in the binding power of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as there is also one hope that belongs to the calling we received. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism one God and Father of us all, who is above all, sovereign over all, pervading all, and living in us all. I want you to think about that very clearly because there are many other scriptural references that give the, the, the persons of, of the Godhead in their functionality. Who do we know is living in us all? The Holy Spirit. Verse 6 says, there's one God and the Father is preventing God and is living in us all. So the Spirit of God is one with the God Father. So you cannot say that I'm praying today, I want to talk to God the Father only. We said this last week, no, it was the other week, the other week, that a lot of the doctrines I've learned is that we want to speak to a particular person of the Godhead. Hoping that they will now, yeah, that now the, the agenda will now be signed off. I'm only speaking to Jehovah Jireh. I called Jehovah Jireh alone. Yeah, yeah. Today I want to speak to Sidney, my righteousness. Lord, you have sanctified me. You know, you don't, those things. We want to speak to who? Who can you, I don't know. Yeah, you can, there are very many names, but they are one. So it should stop confusing you who you're praying to. Mm-hmm. Saying God is actually the, oh, the yeah. it's all of them. It yeah. is the full picture of the Godhead. Yeah. You can always say, Father, I thank you, because you're also feeling in here the fatherhood of God, the nature mm-hmm. that his father is in you. When you talk about thank you, Jesus, for saving me, you know what he did. Thank you, Jesus, for expressing your love through them on the cross. Well, thank you, Spirit of God, for reminding me of my identity because he's the one living in me. But it does not mean that now you pray to one or the other. It is acknowledging that functionality in the whole picture of the world. Okay? Philippians chapter 2, verse 11. Okay? People of God, time it ago. Time it ago. We are, we are almost done. Hey, we'll be done next week with this uh, Trinity element. But let's finish God the Father and then we, we, we'll close it. Uh, Philippians chapter 2, verse 11. And every tongue 
frankly and openly confess and acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We have learned that Christ was the glory of who? Of God. He expressed the radiance of the Godhead. He expressed the radiance, whether the fatherhood or the spirit, uh, spirit of the Lord. It is his human embodiment. Yes. Uh, First Peter chapter 1 verse 1 to 2. It says, Peter, an apostle, a special messenger of Jesus Christ, writing to the elect exiles of the dispersion scattered or sold abroad in Pontus, Galatia, uh, or Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Oh, by the way, don't let these names scare you. Because of our history, places have been changed. You now know Bagadwe way is not called Bagadwe way, it's called the Lodinga way. You know? So it does not mean that the road does not exist. So Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Virginia, it could be, it's basically the whole world. It could probably even be here in Kenya, we don't know. But because of those times, they had different names for them. So not only I say that this particular letter was now written to the guys in Pontus, and no, they don't exist. Who are Pontus people? We don't know who those people are. We just know that this letter is to us who are believers, okay? To the, uh, the elect exiles, okay? All right. So, who are chosen and foreknown by God the Father? This is my favorite. Who are chosen and foreknown by God the Father, consecrated, sanctified, made holy by the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ the Messiah and to be sprinkled with his blood. I have to read that again. You, Asia, were chosen and foreknown by God the Father, consecrated and sanctified and made holy by the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ the Messiah and to be sprinkled with his blood. You know, when we say that we're taking every thought card to the bringing to the obedience, the yeah, only image of Christ Jesus, do you remember that in John chapter 1, we said that who was the one? 
in the beginning was Jesus, and Jesus was the one, and Jesus was with God. So when you also talk about the obedience of the believer, it is actually also big to Jesus Christ, it's actually obedience to his word. That in all of this, you're not just obedient to Jesus Christ, the person, but the word that he spoke, which is the same word that he spoke, that he received from the Father. So when you're obedient to Christ, you're actually obedient to the word. You cannot have the two working in parallel. That saying, you know, I'm submitted to Christ. But when you tell you to do the word, you are acting funny. It means you're not obedient. You're disobedient. You're disobedient to the word. You're disobedient to Christ. Anyway, I digress a little bit. So here, once again, we see God the Father being mentioned very distinctly. Very, very distinctly. And he says that may grace and spiritual blessing and peace be given to me, increase in abundance, that spiritual peace to be realized in and through Christ, freedom from fears, agitating passions, and moral conflicts. Praised, honored, and blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah. His boundless mercy, by his boundless mercy, we have been born again into an ever-living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now, we know it is the Spirit, because we are born of the Spirit. He's the one who gives us the rebirth. So we are born again by the Spirit of God. And it is through the finished work of the cross of Jesus that we receive that rebirth. Okay? So in their working, you will see that their essence, their substance one, their personas are indeed different, but it has a back-end meaning. Not that now the the they, they did it for the sake of confusing uh, the world and bringing a lot of mystery in their existence. But there's a functionality. And they cannot function outside of each other. You remember when I mentioned earlier that they are co-equal, co-eternal. They are inter-interdependent. You will never see God the Father working without Jesus or God the Son or without God the Spirit. They work together as one. Just because the physical element is missing here, it doesn't make the Godhead functionality any lesser. It is still, or rather, he is still as potent as ever. That's why we see his omniscience, his omnipresent, his omnipresent, omnipotent, and omnipresent. I've said a lot No, I've left that one. Omniscient, omnipresent, omnipotent. 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 I know. Omnipotent. Okay. Your pastor was saying that God is omnivorous. There's something to do. That God is omnivorous. Wow. Anyway, 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 anyway. Um, Great. I, 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 I want to close it there with an understanding of what the Father is and scriptural backing of the Godhead in highlighting the Father, the Father in our relation to him and in relation to seeing his sovereignty. I would like us to close now and I will pray. Then we will take up any questions. We'll finish at 6.30 by God's grace. My prayer will be short and sweet. <laughs> anyway, <clears throat> it will be short 
uh, very direct so that we can take in comments and questions and then we call it a wrap, okay? Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that we who have gathered here both physically and online have eaten to our shield and there is still much more to be desired or to be partaken of. And you have already availed that for us and you have willed that we will be satisfied in you. You have said that whoever shall drink from you, whoever shall eat your flesh, will never be thirsty, will never hunger again. So we speak out in confidence and faith that we are full, that we are filled, we are well, we are whole because of what we have understood of who we are in you and who you are to us. I thank you that your presence is fully available in us that we are not lacking, we're not looking for any other fulfillment, any other jolt. You are our all in all. We live in you, we live by you, we live through you. I thank you that you have set us apart, that you have called us to an inheritance that is beyond whatever we had here on earth, that your great promises are already living in us. They're already bestowed upon us. They're already fulfilled. It is ours to realize. So I thank you for your word that gives us that realization that opens our eyes and our minds, Daddy, that whenever we see things, just not the face value, but we are seeing your glory in those things. In every opportunity, in every trial and circumstance, we see your glory. We also acknowledge today that we are living in our divine nature, that we are not an ordinary people, that our flesh is subordinate to our spirit, man. And therefore we are bold in every aspect we are confident, we know that we are loved and therefore we love. We have everything that, that is required for life and godliness. And therefore we are blessed to be a blessing to this dying world. Thank you for everything and we love you so much. Be exalted in Jesus' name we have asked and have received. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Okay? Amen. Okay, 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 saints. What you online? Are you available? Are you there? My husband wants to tell me to stop recording. I am recording in five. No, stop recording. Five, four, three, two. Where is the recording? One. I have stopped. <laughs>